welcome to the Hear It podcast. I'm your host Rebecca Roberts and each week we're going to be speaking to different guests about their take on how to engage a youth audience. I really hope you like it. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Hear It podcast. Now we're still talking about working with and creating with young people but we're focusing our attention a little bit more on the advertising industry itself and also culture. So we're speaking to Amy Keane who is culture editor of Shots magazine. She's had a bulk of her career so far in the advertising industry as well as a successful author, lecturer. I mean the list goes on. Here's what she had to say. Hi Amy, thanks ever so much for coming on the Hear It podcast today. Hello. Lovely to be here. Lovely to talk to you. For those people who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your um, career and how you've landed where you are now? So I've worked in, I call myself an advertising sociologist because basically that's what I've been doing for the last 16 or so years. Um, So I've always worked for agencies. So I've worked agency side uh, within the advertising space. I've worked for PR agencies, creative agencies, media agencies. But I always ended up doing the, I don't want to sound wanky, but like the thinky stuff, the anthropology stuff that, you know, like going a bit further in strategy and innovation to understand people better. I think it's, maybe we'll talk about this later, but understanding people is still a skill and a process that is totally undervalued in the advertising space. Um, So uh, I was head of strategy for Mindshare in Asia Pacific. I was head of futures for Havas. I was global head of strategic innovation for an agency called Starcom. And I'm sure if anyone listening has been working in advertising for a while, eventually you start to feel really grubby (laughs) because you've essentially sold your soul. My tipping point was when I was asked to, um, one of my biggest clients in APAC was a pharmaceutical client and uh, I did their strategy, their kind of Asia Pacific strategy. So in about 10 different markets for them. And one day they asked me to help them write a strategy to sell laxatives to 16 year old Korean girls. That was my point when I thought, oh, actually, I think I need to get some kind of soul food. So I started, uh, first of all, I said no to that brief. Um, But secondly, I started writing as well. So I started writing poetry and um, uh, verse and also fiction. And so in the last few years, I've released two books. Um, The first, which is like a dystopian fairy tale called The Little Girl Who Gave Zero Fucks. And the second, which annoyingly came out over lockdown, which is a poetry collection called House of Weeds, which is about neurodiversity and being weird, being shunned by society, but not giving a shit. And over the last nine or so months, I just had the most amazing lockdown epiphanies (laughs) where I decided to wholeheartedly work for myself. Um, Over the last, last nine or so months, I've created a diversity initiative called DICE which stands for diversity and inclusion at conferences and events and also now I run my own company called Six Things Impossible which I call the creativity and culture company for tomorrow and what I do we do is no bullshit ideas and trends and innovation. Amazing and you also lecture as well. Oh god Christ I'm 
Well, two, two sorry. <laughs> I'm a lecturer at Kingston University, so I lecture on the history of art and culture. And also I'm culture's editor for a magazine called Shots. Shots is, God, I just, I love them. I've always loved them. They've been around for like 30 years and they're, they consider themselves to be the voice of the creative community. So that includes advertising, but it also includes directors and designers and illustrators. And they're, 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 the kind of industry title that's just not fluff and bullshit like so many of them are. Like you talk about Adlan quite a bit and the process of like enabling creators for different key audiences but I guess when it comes to youth and young people like why do you think it's still deemed such as a challenging audience to get right? They're kind of treated like aliens right? Yeah right so in reality the most business is still governed by white men in their 40s like that's a reality I worked for a beauty company for a couple of years really like um massive global beauty company they own loads of really famous brands I won't mention them because I'm about to kind of bitch about them but they sell makeup to 18 year olds they sell beauty products to 25 year olds and the entire company was run by um actually French men Frenchmen in their 40s and the problem is that the way that we communicate and this also applies to fashion and FMCG the way that we communicate often is based on the assumptions of these men this is how the youth should live this should be what women want this is how we think uh you know someone's insecurity should be exploited um this kind of lazy lens that makes loads of assumptions about um, the way that everyone who isn't a white man in their 40s thinks and lives and behaves, that's what continues to drive, drive the advertising industry. It's gross. Yeah, it's really gross and just annoying, isn't it? Because you just think it's all those kind of lazy assumptions. And so you work with a lot of young people through, you know, obviously lecturing and stuff. Yeah. Um, do you feel like collaboration and co-creation, just like this basic engagement of this youth audience rather than the token young person um, brought in by the white 40-year-old man um, is needed? It's absolutely essential. So there's a few things that you forget, right? When you pass the age of 30 or 40, you forget that young people have a sense of humour. You forget that young people are creative. And you forget that young people are also very smart. And a lot of those elements is missed in advertising today across those of different brands. Like, it's, I'm not the first person to say this, but we fetishise youth because we think youth is synonymous with cool. When you have these 40-year-old men <laughs> creating images of what they think cool is, that's when it totally, totally misses the mark. So the perfect example here is TikTok. TikTok is a weird industry obsession because lots of veterans, industry veterans, are talking about how much they hate it and how much it's a flash in the pan. But in reality, you know, I teach loads of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds who are into fashion and art and culture. They go to Kingston University. They live on TikTok. They understand this shit inside out. They're obsessed with it. This is their platform for creativity. Um there's millions of people on that platform of all ages, but the creators. Interestingly, um, I saw a stat the other day that on TikTok, around 50% of people don't create anything, they just watch. So it's like a hybrid of like a TV station and a creator's platform. But the reality is what's happening a lot. So I did an article recently for Shots Magazine where I asked those of young creatives, 
is the industry doing TikTok a disservice? And they all, without exception, said yes, because what's happening is that they're just getting um, established creatives to make for the platform. And what's happening is that it's falling flat because they don't understand they don't understand the young people that they're targeting. They don't understand TikTok is a really interesting place because trends in their world, literally they could last a day. A trend could last a day or it could last a week. And a trend could be a dance or, you know, a, like a meme or something. If creatives aren't co-creating with the young people that are on the platform, then it's never going to resonate. Brands aren't there all the time, are clearly not getting it. And interestingly, there's some stuff on the radio this morning, obviously with Topshop likely to fold. And they had like a lot of um, young um, women who were saying, well, you know, we can shop things that sort of change every few days and Topshop's there for like two weeks. They've not really engaged with us in the same way on Instagram. Yeah. And I found that really interesting. Like actually it's a youth audience that has just grown up differently and brands like Topshop haven't necessarily adjusted. Topshop used to be a client of mine for a brief time. And it, this is exactly the issue, exactly what you've described. There's loads of areas in which they completely drop the ball when it comes to a youth audience. They've never really embraced plus sizing, which is so important these days, so important. Um, young people's perception towards body image is, is radically different and far more, far more positive these days. Um, I mean, obviously you still have issues, but it's a lot more inclusive when it comes to body shape. Secondly, they haven't, Topshop haven't really done the sustainable thing very well in the way that H&M have, for example. Um, Topshop released their own sustainable, in inverted commas, uh, line, but it felt very much kind of lip service. And also another space where that's really, really important for young people these days, I'm talking about in the UK mainly, is collaborations. So most of the fast fashion brands do collabs really really well Topshop with the leaders with Kate Moss years ago they kind of spearheaded the collaboration but these days most fashion brands particularly fast fashion brands um will collaborate with pop stars they'll collaborate with influencers and they make these lines in a matter of weeks I think I saw a stat saying you can create, you know, from design to sitting on someone's doorstep, it can be like 21 days. Now, obviously, fast fashion brands are, have their own problems because they're not particularly good for the environment. But in terms of managing to understand young people and what they want to buy and what they're passionate about, Topshop, they haven't managed to nail it in the last five years. And what do you think are the biggest like issues or myths we've shared before I hate of terms like side hustle um, and I have a I like a bit of a hatred for digital native like I have two oh, yeah. children but they were not born like with computer skills it's just how they've grown up in context why do you think people are obsessed with that like what what are the big problems the phrase side hustle <laughs> is so <laughs> ridiculous basically they're just talking about people with part-time jobs <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I mean the thing is society in general just has this massive weird thing with youth we're jealous of them yet we hate them you know we think they're cool but we despise their music it's just like this weird love-hate relationship that we have with young people unfortunately what we do in advertising in particular is we'll use a small trend to describe an entire generation so um for example, lots of young people do care about the planet. Lots of do people, young people do care about climate change and activism and protesting. But that doesn't mean that the entire generation does. Because 
if you look at like you know we were talking about fast fashion if you look at fast fashion these brands who are shit for the environment you get a dress for seven pounds are the top fashion brands in the uk today so for us to make these sweeping statements all millennials are entrepreneurs all gen z are activists is just so flawed and also i think there's still like in in terms of our understanding of people within the advertising space we we have our city bubbles so you know we'll we'll look on our own front doorstep when we source human understanding but also I think, and I think you said it right at the beginning, the UK in the particular, the UK in particular, inequality is just, is rife. But when we look at the behaviours of different generations and of young people, we're only ever looking at the behaviours of middle class young people. And we're not taking into account the fact that I think child poverty has been increasing rapidly for the last four years like substantially for the last four years we don't take any of that into account because it's not shiny it's not shiny and it's not cool and it's not glossy and we can't call poverty a trend you're right and it comes back to obviously a point that we can talk about diversity here like on another episode I've talked to someone about like how do you get to those subcultures and he was like it's not it's not okay to to sort of wait for people to come to you you have to go and search out the different voices in order to make sure you've heard like a better breadth of society to base your to inform your campaign you know you've talked about that like obviously you do quite a lot of stuff with the dice charter and yeah. challenging what's quite a visible like shit lineup when it comes to conferences like on international men's i think you tweeted something like okay like you, you're trying to get those like panels out today but they were pretty poor can i just say can i just use this opportunity to say how livid i am with International Men's Day. On International Men's Day, I saw people having parties, I saw people having events, I saw people releasing new research on masculinity. And the fact that International Men's Day has become a thing is so crass and tone deaf. I'm fuming, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all right, use your opportunity. What would you say, like in terms of like building a campaign or approach, like? What do you think are the fundamentals to get it right to better sort of engage youth audience? Yeah, so um, I've been thinking about this for a very, very, for years. <laughs> and I've noticed since, I think there was, you know, a few years ago, or maybe over the last decade, advertising, it's just not as good as it used to be. It's a bit cheesier now. It's a bit more heavy handed. It's a bit preachier. None of that stuff resonates with the youth audience. And if you look at the top brands for young people, particularly in the UK, like primarily I'm talking about the UK, it's brands that do stuff. Brands that act, brands that walk the talk, brands that live their values so they don't have to tell you about their values. So my favourite example, first of all, Kylie Cosmetics, right? Whatever you think about the Kardashians, that is one of the most successful cosmetic companies in the world right now. And the way that they behave, it's more about their brand behaviors than their advertising. So Kylie Cosmetics, they drop constantly. They do these amazing collabs. So this Christmas, they've got a partnership with The Grinch. Um, released it. I mean, it's so cool. And they've released all these different Christmas palettes. They, they announce something new, like every Wednesday, there's constant drops. There's constant excitement. There's constant reveals. Kylie does all the stuff herself. She'll show you how to use the products like she does. And lives and breathes her product. So she doesn't really have to advertise. Same with a brand like one of the most popular brands, particularly in the UK today, Supreme. 
you know, in when times were normal, that the store, the Supreme store in Soho, would have people queuing around the block to get in like every Thursday when there was a new drop, when there was a drop for new t-shirt designs or whatever. Supreme just do. They create this excitement in their uh, among their customer base they they're always dropping new products they do amazing collaborations they just they do and they exist and that's enough it's kind of old it's kind of old school having that community around the brand isn't it it's quite it's clever but it totally there's also another brand that my nieces are obsessed with called brandy melville um i've never seen them advertise but they do, i think all of their clothes are just one size so again, they just do, they just exist and they're good. And I feel like for young people who couldn't really give a shit about advertising for the most part, or the advertising that they do consume is on Instagram and it's based on stuff they like or it's on TikTok and it's based on stuff they watch. They just want brands to have integrity. And I know that's super cheesy. It makes me sound like a thought leader, um, you know, reeling out the, the cliches. But to have integrity and to have a great, product and values that people can buy into means advertising is less significant for this audience well definitely with the covid messaging as well like there was yeah. a lot of um almost like telling young people what to do oh no it's just another way that you know um the the young people are preached to in some advertising as well aren't they i mean the government yeah. always used to be really bad for that with their you know when the coi used to exist all the kind of government cause campaigns and you mentioned a few brands and campaigns there. Like, are there any campaigns that spring to your mind? I mean, I felt like we should mention that you launched a One Direction album once. Like, Oh, my God. Well, this was... <laughs> it was their first album. How did you know that? Did I tell you that? No, I was being like a real geek and stalking you online before I did the question. And yes. I saw it on the kind of agency website and I was like, I've got to mention that before we finish. <laughs> yeah, so this was, again, it was... Um, uh, God, when was this? Was it like 10 years ago? Must have been, yeah. At the time, ARGs, uh, alternate reality games, were really starting to gather pace online. Um, gaming was was starting to become a thing that wasn't just for young boys. Girls were playing loads of games online too. So we created this ARG for um, with this with this fictional character called Cyberpunk. He was like she was like a forum character. Basically, the story was that she'd stolen a briefcase that had One Direction One Direction's album on it, and the One Direction fans, the Directioners, had to <laughs> crack all of these clues in order to get. So first we um, we gave some album artwork, and then we seeded one of the songs, and then we'd give exclusive photos, etc. And um, it was a campaign that actually we did it all over the world because their, I mean, God, their fan base was just so passionate and hectic. Um, that that yeah, and it's again, you put the put yourself into their world and take some time to understand how how young people function and what gets them excited. We linked it, we even linked it to, so they'd do an interview on TV and you'd have to listen out for a word and then you'd type the word into the website and then you know you'd get the lyrics from one of the songs and I mean it was so it's such an intense period and also a bit terrifying understand them understand how they speak the language the slang all that stuff it's actually fascinating if you give a shit are there any other campaigns more recently then that you think like they have done a really good job 
Um, well, again, like I'm not noticing campaigns per se. Um, I think maybe, I mean, who knows? Maybe the the days of those big, you know, your big kind of textbook campaign where you have your ad on TV and then your post in London and then your digital comes last. I think maybe those days might be over because these days most stuff is starting in social. So the brands that I see that are doing really well in social media, which is where young people primarily live, especially now when we're locked down, brands like Glossier, um just had, there's so much passion around them so much passion you see all the comments and social but also they run ad campaigns and they're so successful and then aside from your own books obviously um are there any books or podcasts that you would recommend us to check out i'm reading a book called i hate men by pauline homange i think it's been out it's spelled h-a-r-m-a N-G-E. They tried to ban it in France, I think, because of the title. By the way, I don't hate men. Men are brilliant. <laughs> They're essential to the world. They're a great, you know, component of humanity. Um, but it's a really interesting essay about, um, well, it's a book that's an essay about how from when we're young, women from when we're young, we're told that we can't, we're not allowed to get angry with men ever. You always need to worry about what you say and worry about what you fight against in case you piss off too many men. And it's very enlightening. I actually thoroughly recommend it. Obviously, the title is, you know, it's a sensational title designed to get sales. The actual content is really interesting. And what about podcasts? Do you check many out or do you not have time? Because to be honest, what are you not doing? I spend most of my time, I'll be honest, there's, I, I often go down YouTube rabbit holes and there's so many videos that are like the 10 clips of Lady Gaga being at her sassiest or like, <laughs> 12 times Rihanna clapped back. <laughs> <laughs> Click face. Um, well, no, thanks ever so much for your time today. It's been great chatting to you. Pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Sorry if I was too angry. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't at all. So that's it for episode 16. Really hope you enjoyed my chat with Amy there. Uh, definitely go and follow her on Twitter. She's incredibly funny, but also impossibly busy and involved in lots of great work. So really worth following. So next up, we're going to be talking about health messaging and behaviour change with young people, because let's face it, the government messaging around youth audiences going out and kind of empowering behaviour has kind of fallen flat. So we thought we'd pick uh, episode 17 to talk about possibly the most awkward subject when it comes to audiences which is sex education and sexual health and we've got Leanne Hughes um, from the NHS in Scotland and she's going to be talking to us so definitely stay tuned for that one thanks very much for listening please rate the podcast share it do the usual stuff and I'll catch you soon